Are you a mom launching kids into adulthood? If so, you need to know about my Empty Nest Mom Retreat. It is the gathering for moms who have at least one child over the age of 18 or who have launched them all and have a full empty nest. September 27th through the 29th are the dates, and Cedar Lake Retreat Center in Cedar Lake, Indiana is the place. You can fly into Chicago airports and drive to Cedar Lake in a little over an hour. Come join me. Best value registration is available through May 27th, and space is limited to just 100 moms, so don't delay. Check out jillsavage.org slash retreat to register today. Love in marriage is not, am I getting my needs met and am I happy? You know, Mm -hmm. Marie Kondo would say, does it spark joy? And if it doesn't spark joy, you get rid of it. But a lot of people have that view of marriage. If my marriage is sparking joy, I need to get rid of it. Well, that's the self-focus. So I then realized, no, this is really about, is Mary Ann happy? And then I went, oh no, it's not about that either. The real question is, is God happy? Welcome to the No More Perfect Podcast, where we talk about the messy, less than perfect, but real stuff of life. My name's Jill Savage, and I'll be your host. I'm so glad you're here. For years, Bob Lapine and Dennis Rainey were the voices of the Family Life Today radio program and podcast. I had the pleasure of being interviewed by Bob a handful of times for several of my books, including Professionalizing Motherhood, No More Perfect Moms, and Empty Nest Full Life. Today, we have switched roles and Mark and I are interviewing him. This conversation was recorded as a video interview for our No More Perfect Marriages date night members. Each month, we send out a video interview with a marriage expert to those in our date night family. We also include conversation and reflection questions for our members to take the content, talk about it as a couple, and apply it to their life personally. Bob Lapine's Love Like You Mean It book was transformational for Mark. So while we recorded this for our date night members, we decided that we wanted to share this interview on the podcast as well. We believe you'll find it very powerful. So every year, millions of men and women stand in Mm -hmm. front of their friends and their families and they pledge a lifelong love to each other. The question is, do they know what they're getting themselves into? Nope. <laughs> we sure didn't. No, we didn't. No. Not at all. You know, and unfortunately, many people come into marriage with unrealistic expectations, huge expectations of what their love relationship, their marriage is going to be, and they end up frustrated or yeah. even divorced. Right. Yes, exactly. And so today we're really excited to have Bob Lapine with us. Bob is going to help us unpack a biblical understanding of Mm -hmm. what real love looks like in marriage. Um, Bob is a marriage and family expert. He's the author of a book, Love Like You Mean It, which Mm. Mark absolutely Absolutely. loved that book. Mm -hmm. Um, Bob is the host of the Family Life Today radio program, which I've had the privilege of being on several times. We are so glad to have you with us, Bob. Welcome. It is great to be with both of you today, and I'm excited for the conversation. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, we're excited too. Bob, I loved your book when we received it. 
I devoured it and I just, I told Jill, we have got to get an interview with you because the message is so powerful. And actually today is my nine year anniversary of when I returned home after having the affair. And it was upon the return home that God just really placed upon my heart that I need to learn how to love. I'd been very selfish been very uh, uh, demanding of what I wanted, and it was all conditional, of course, conditioned based upon what I wanted. And so when I got your book, I was just so uh, challenged and encouraged, and it just partnered with what God was doing in me to learn how to love. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think uh, you and I, I mean, all of us have grown up being catechized by the culture and by our own appetites. So our definition of love is what do we see on, on romantic comedies or what do we hear on right. radio? And then it's, and then what do we want? What, what do our own appetites and desires tell us? And we think love is what satisfies me. And it's uh, mm-hmm. it's the, the tingles that Gary mm-hmm. Chapman talks about the tingles. Right. And, and we've got to relearn love if we're going to make it work right in a marriage. And that's what the book Love Like You Mean, it's really all about. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you're you're exactly right. It, the movies we watch, the romance novels mm-hmm. we read, they tell us that love is those tingles. Mm-hmm. So if love isn't the tingles, Bob, then what is it? What is love? Love takes work boots, and and we have to go back to the to the definition that uh, comes from First Corinthians thirteen, which is really where this this book is anchored. And mm-hmm. and when we read First Corinthians thirteen at weddings, we read it like it's a sappy Hallmark card. <laughs> and and I think if if we had an audio Bible and we were listening to the Apostle Paul read this to the Corinthian church the way he intended for it to be read. This is a rebuke against a church that is a loveless church. So he's talking about how gifted these people are and how they they need to figure out their gifts. But he says, but listen, if you don't have love, all the gifts in the world don't matter. And so when he gets mm-hmm. into this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, he's looking at them and he's saying, guys, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not insist on its own way. I mean, there's a little bit of a scold in how he is doing this. He's saying, we've got to correct your wrong thinking about what love is. It's foundational. All followers of Christ, this is the the, the foundation on which our lives are to rest. If we don't get this right, it doesn't matter what else we get right. And so he's he's really giving us a challenge to say, time to lace up the work boots and recognize that love, I, I boil it, you ask what it is. I If I simplify it in two words, it's really commitment. I'm, I'm committed to you no matter yes. what. Mm-hmm. And then the second part is self-sacrifice. I will sacrifice myself for, for your good, for our good, the good of this relationship. And when that's present, I will die to self and I'm committed to you. I think we're getting close to where real love is, is born. Mm. I love uh, that picture that you gave of lace up your work boots. Uh, Because I think in culture, we think that those, even those few words that you said about love, uh, commitment, 
and decision and all of that should just come naturally. And if we're really meant for each other, it should just happen. But, yeah, but, but, but you know this, cause you, yeah. you know, same era that I grew up in. So I grew up listening to the beach boys saying, wouldn't it be nice if we <laughs> were older, you know, and, and you grew up thinking, wouldn't it be nice? We could just move in, live together. We could get married and then mm-hmm. it's going to make it that much better when we can say goodnight and stay together. And that's, mm-hmm. that's our dreamy view of this is what love is going to be for the rest of our lives. It's good mm-hmm. when we're dating. And if I just marry you, it's going to get even better and it's going to go on forever and and that's mm. where all of a sudden uh, the definition of love hits reality because all of us there are challenges and there are stresses and you don't look as good mm-hmm. in the morning as you look when we go out on a date and there are all of those kinds of things that enter in and and this is where we've got to say do we really understand what love is and are we committed to one another and are we ready to sacrifice for one another mm-hmm. right so true you know it was during our dark season for me that god taught me so much about love and he did that through romans 12 mm-hmm. uh romans 12 9 through 21 became mm-hmm. my marching orders because i remember shortly after I discovered Mark's affair and we began Mm -hmm. to deal with the reality of that. And he was not repentant at all. Mm -hmm. Um, And I begged God to tell me what to do. And I heard only one thing. I want you to love him. And man, I'll tell you what, that was a, that was a season for me where I had to lace up my boots. Like Mm -hmm. you said, I really had to lace up my boots because I knew how to love someone who was loving me back. I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to love when that person wasn't returning it. So what I realized is my love had been shallow up to that point. And Mm -hmm. God used that hard season to drive it deeper. Well, you were, you were loving Mark out of the reservoir of love that you had in you. And you were basically relying on the, you know, we hear a lot about love tanks. You've heard this idea. we got to get our love tank filled up to be able to love somebody else. And, And I don't disagree with that. I'm just, I'm thinking, where do we go to get our love tank filled up? It's not, am I getting enough love from you that I can give it back to you? It's, am I understanding God's love for me? And out of the overflow of God's love for me, now I can love you in a different way, in in a more abundant way. God's love for me never runs out. If that's always being poured into me, then I can love you out of the abundance of his love for me, rather than it being conditional based on how you're performing today or Mm -hmm. whether I have enough love that you poured into my love tank that I've got a little bit I can give back to you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 In actuality, we just, we look to our spouse to be our filling station and uh, that's the wrong person. It's never going to work that way. Yeah. No, no. And certainly that would be true uh, for how I, I thought and how I acted uh, before the affair. And, uh, I think not that I would ever, I never want to go through that again for my family or for myself, but the beauty was God used that the shrapnel (laughs) and the bomb that I ignited to really show me how messed up my, uh, my thinking was regarding love. And, you know, Mark, one of the things I'm thinking as we're talking about this from the love tank perspective Mm -hmm. is 
one of the places that God has done a lot of healing in your life and your heart is you were really steeped in shame mm-hmm. before. And so, and shame says, I'm not worthy mm-hmm. of love. I'm not even worthy of God's love. Mm-hmm. And so it's like God would pour it into you, but there was a hole in your bucket. Right. And when you started dealing with your shame and dealing with that, you you plugged the hole in the bucket mm-hmm. so then God's love could come in and then you actually could begin to love like mm-hmm. you mean it. <laughs> right. Yeah. No kidding. You know, Jill, what you're talking about there is so critical. It's so important. At, at our church, I tell people that our assignment is to uh, re-repent and re-believe the gospel every day. Mm-hmm. And and we've got to, we think repent and believe is that thing we do when we first become Christians. And it is, but I, I mess up every day. So I have to re-confess and re-repent, not to be re-forgiven because God has already forgiven me, but then re-believe the gospel that I am forgiven, that, that I am right with God in spite of my, my failures mm-hmm. and my mess ups. It, to deal with guilt and shame, we have to deal with it from the perspective of of how the what the Bible says is true, and that is, I, I read this passage on Easter at our church that He has blotted out our transgressions. That means they have disappeared. This is the God of the universe with the blood of Christ blotting out what is wrong. Now, if God has chosen to forget our sins, which again the Bible says He remembers them no more. Yes. Then when you remember it, it's not God who's bringing it to your remembrance. It's the accuser of the brethren who's bringing it to your mind. Mm-hmm. And saying, oh, but what about this? This is who you really are. This is where we have to rebelieve the gospel and do spiritual warfare and say, no, I, I am a child of God. God has forgiven my sins. I'm not going to allow shame and guilt to control my understanding of who I am. I'm going to live in victory and in freedom. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when that shame and guilt is not getting in the way, then love is possible. Right. Because without if if shame and guilt are in the way, then it it blocks love. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Think of the woman who came and she came to the dinner where Jesus was eating, he was reclining. She came and anointed mm-hmm. his feet with her tears. This was a woman with a shameful past, and everybody in the crowd knew it. Mm-hmm. And yet, she also knew that in in the presence of Jesus, he was not focused on her shame. He had forgiven her. He'd released her from that. So she was not controlled by what the crowd thought. She was not controlled by her own voices in her head saying, remember who you are. She was just kept her eyes fixed on Jesus and came and freely was able to love and worship him because of what he said was true about her. We've all got to regularly get back to that place in our relationship with Jesus, because again, the accuser of the brethren wants to keep shame and guilt in the forefront because it will keep us from so much in our relationships with one another and in our relationship with God. Oh, absolutely. Uh, So Bob, in uh, one of the chapters, I love the titles in the chapters too, but one of the chapters was that uh it's not all about me and then love is humble talk about that a little bit yeah in in my version of the bible it says love is not self-seeking it does not seek its own does not insist on its own way um Mm -hmm. and 
I go back here to when Marianne and I were dating. Um, when she was, uh, when we were dating, she she came to me at one point and she said, "What do you think about the two of us memorizing scripture together?" And because we were dating, I said, "That's a great idea." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Really, in the back of my mind, what I was thinking was, "Well, why would you memorize it? I mean, if you need it, it's in the book. You go look it up." <laughs> to memorize the Bible. I mean, who does that? This was really how I thought. So, but I said, that's a great idea because we're dating and you lie to each other when you're dating. And, <laughs> and so I said, did you have a verse in mind? And she said, well, I was thinking maybe we could memorize a chapter. And again, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking a chapter. But what I said was, wow, yeah. Okay. And then I said, did you have a chapter in mind? And she said, I was thinking Philippians chapter two. And I'm think I, I kind of nodded my head like I knew, oh, what a great chapter. I'm thinking, is that Old Testament or New Testament? <laughs> but we started to memorize Philippians chapter two. And and I we didn't get all the way through it. She may have. I dropped out at some point, but I got far enough to get to to verse three and verse four, which for some reason I was able to memorize almost instantly. Uh, mm. Philippians two, three says, do nothing from selfishness. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, the Greek word that's translated nothing means nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Mm -hmm. And it says, do not merely look out for your own interests, which you are prone to do. You're inclined to do. You're going to do that naturally, but look out for the interests of others. When we think about humility, I, I've made the statement to couples over the years, I believe that if every married couple would apply those two verses in their marriage, 90% of marital difficulties would disappear. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, mm -hmm. That's at the root of so much of our marital conflict is this idea of it's all about me and there's no humility and there's no other centeredness. We're not looking out for the needs of the other person. We're just focused mm -hmm. on, am I happy? Am I getting what I want? Am I satisfied? Uh, and, and that's why genuine love doesn't start with a focus that says, what do I want? But how can I bless you? How can I serve you? How can I, how can I defer my own desires and appetites for your good? Now, mm. let me say just real quickly, that doesn't mean that I give in to everything that you're asking for, because everything that you think you want in the moment may not be what's best for you. I have to, before the Lord, say, is this good for us? Is this good for you? I'm, mm. my, my goal is your good, not just your, your wish list being fulfilled. And those are two different things. But humility demands that I put you ahead of myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and humility keeps us from or when we're not humble, um, when we're not using humility, it keeps us from being able to listen well too. like, right. because it's all about what I'm trying to tell you yes. instead of hearing your spouse's mm -hmm. heart. And, and so I, that's at a, a huge issue in marriage. Think about that in conflict when, when we're having those intense discussions and ask mm -hmm. yourself the question, am I really trying to understand what my spouse is saying to me and what's behind that? Or am I trying to think up how I'm going to out-argue you as soon as you take a breath? And oh, yes. Yeah. I, 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 before I, I uh, when, I, when I was in college, my goal was to be a lawyer. 
I I had planned to go to law school. I took the LSAT. I took a summer job between my undergraduate and my graduate work, took a summer job at a radio station. And I was having so much fun. They offered me a raise to stay that I put law school on the back burner. It's still on the back burner. If radio doesn't work out, I may go to law school eventually. (laughs) But, But so, so I didn't go to law school, but when I got married, I decided here's a good opportunity for me to use my my cross-examination skills. So we would have a a conflict and I would say, well, let me just ask you a few questions. Okay. And I would say, what about this? And what about that? And, and I would, I was good at this. I could win the argument one Saturday morning, Marianne and I were doing this. I'm very reasonable. I'm, I'm not loud. I'm not shouting. I just said, well, let me just ask you a couple of questions. What about this and this and this? She got up in the middle of this conversation, walked out of the room, went into the bedroom, shut the door, and locked it. And I thought, the witness is not excused from the witness stand, right? <laughs> yeah. and, and I was feeling very smug and superior, thinking I was being reasonable. She's being unreasonable. She's not, she's not paying attention to my superior logic. If she would just listen, this would all be fixed. And over time, God was saying, well, you weren't listening. You were just trying to win the case. You just mm-hmm. had your arguments lined up. Mm-hmm. You weren't hearing her heart. And, and we had to come to a place. I had to recognize my lawyerly skills were not going to serve our marriage very well. So you're right. Humility says it's not, I'm not here to try to win the argument. I'm here to try mm-hmm. to understand what's going on, to hear your heart. And then let's yeah. figure out what the Lord want us to do in this situation. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In our No More Perfect Marriages book, we talk about eight God tools that every marriage needs and humility is one of those God tools. Yeah. And it is, it's humility is what allows us to, um, it's what allows us to apologize, to ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. It's, it is what allows us to hear our spouse's heart. Mm -hmm. And, um, you're right. There is no room for (laughs) cross-examination in marriage. (laughs) No. Not yeah. a strategy. No, no. no. You know, uh, I think it, when couples are getting married, uh, they would say, most would say that they're really committed to uh, to love and they're committed to, especially if they're Christians, biblical principles. And what I, what Jill and I have seen is they like the idea of those things until life hits hard, until things get rough. And you talk about the value of, of just really understanding biblical uh, concepts and having that biblical foundation. Would you talk more about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, when we got married, I've looked back on this. I didn't realize it at the time, but when we got married, here's what I was thinking. I am in love with how you make me feel. Mm-hmm. What I really love is when we're together, I feel this way. I'm in love with that feeling. So I want to marry you because I want that feeling to be there all the time. And I want, I want it to grow. I want it to get even stronger, right? So the first time the feeling is not there, I'm thinking, wait, what's wrong with you? I thought you were a, a feeling generator for me. I thought that you would produce this for me. And all of a sudden now I'm not thinking about loving you. I'm just thinking about, I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get out of this relationship. And now I'm dissatisfied with you, with the relationship. You seem to be a defective model. You need to get fixed 
so that I can get these feelings back because that's what real love is. And, and this is where, to, to your point, Mark, this is where we've got to ground ourselves in a biblical understanding of what, what love is. When, when we sign up for marriage, you remember the vows, you took these vows and these vows said that you would do these things for better or worse. And the preacher was trying to say, look, worse is coming. Mm-hmm. And when worse comes, you're still going to do, you're still going to love and honor and cherish and, and um, you're going to be devoted to one another. All these things you're pledging for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, because poorer is coming mm-hmm. and, and sickness is coming and adversity is coming. And in the midst of that, you've already pledged ahead of time. I'm not going to quit doing what I pledged I would do, what the Bible calls me to do in the midst of these things. And I think the way that we have to get there is we have to continually renew our minds with what the Bible mm. says. We have to memorize scripture. My wife was right back when we were mm. got to hide God's word in our heart so it can serve us in the middle of those challenges we face. It can, it can be the sword <laughs> of the spirit that comes and is put to work in the middle of the battlefield. Yes. Yes. You know, I once heard somebody say that when we memorize scripture, we increase the Holy Spirit's vocabulary in our lives. Yeah. And I am just, uh, I I am when I, you know, think about being in God's word, that's the importance of it is so that it can come back to us in moments when Mm -hmm. we need it, when we're tempted to walk in our flesh, but we need to be walking in our spirit. Mm -hmm. So we need to move away from what I want to do and move towards what does God want me to do? Yeah. Yeah. And And really that goes back to humility that uh, if we're not willing to be humble, we won't yield to what the Lord is asking Mm -hmm. or conveying. Well, and and this was one of those aha moments for me was coming to recognize, okay, okay, Love in marriage is not, am I getting my needs met? And am I happy? You know, mm-hmm. Marie Kondo would say, does it spark joy? And if it doesn't spark joy, you get rid of it. But a lot of people have that view of marriage. If my marriage right. is sparking joy, I need to get rid of it. Well, that's the self-focus. So I then realized, no, I, this is really about, is Mary Ann happy? And then I went, oh, no, it's not about that either. The real question is, is God happy? And we both care about pleasing God more than even pleasing one another, because we can please one another and God not be pleased. And and so if we want a marriage that is successful and endures, we both have to start with the focus that says, am I pleasing God in how I am living in this marriage, how we are functioning together? I asked a group of pastors one time, I said, if you were doing marital counseling and you couldn't use the go-to verses in the Bible about marriage. You can't use Ephesians 5. You can't use 1 Peter 3. You can't even use Genesis 2. Um, mm-hmm. But you have to come up with verses about marriage. Where would you go? And some of them brought up Romans 12 that you mentioned. Some of them brought up 1 Corinthians 13. Ephesians 4 was popular. Don't let the sun go down on your anger about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I had two pastors that both said, oh, I got the perfect verse for you. And they shared a verse that I knew that I had never thought of in a marriage context. One of them said, I use this verse when I proposed to my wife. And I mm-hmm. said, what is it? I said it's, it's Psalm 34, verse three, I think, verse two or three. It's the verse that says, 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I thought that's what marriage is. Yeah. It's let's magnify the Lord together and exalt his name together. If we're doing that, all of the little stuff about who burned what or what, you know, you didn't do this. That's all going to work out if our focus is on how can we magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. Yes. Oh, I love yeah, that. I do too. Wow. I've never thought about that from no, a marriage perspective either. Yeah. That, wow. What a vision and a directive and really a great target for our, our thinking and our actions. It yeah. could be a vision statement for marriage. Yeah. Like, absolutely. That's a powerful vision statement for marriage. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Hey, the conversation isn't done yet, but I just want to hop in here with a little secret. When you're a part of our date night family, it's like having a marriage conference in your back pocket. We send out great content like this weekly to our members. Now, date night isn't currently open and it hasn't been open to the public for over two years. But because you're listening to this episode, we have a special link that you can go to to get a free seven-day trial. You can find it at nomoreperfectdatenight.com slash home or click the link in the show notes. Now, back to this great conversation with Bob. You know, one of the things that Mark and I uh, often say is, when I'm a better me, we're a better we. Mm-hmm. And and so one of the things you say in the book, you talk about in the book, is that the biggest problems in marriage lie within each of us. Mm-hmm. And it's really our own personal application of 1 Corinthians 13 that gets to the heart of the matter, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think... I think, first of all, you're absolutely right. When I'm a better me, we're a better we. I I echo that. I think a lot of people think, and the way to be a better me is I need me time and I need the bath and I need the shopping and I need a glass of wine before dinner. And I, you know, these are the things that make me a better me. And I would say, no, the Bible says the things that make you a better you are Mm -hmm. when you are growing in grace, when you are getting time in God's word, when you have time in prayer, rather than, than making your effort on being a better you about just how can you relax and please yourself. And, and, I, I think that's okay. I mean, we, we've all got to relax. Jesus took time for rest. I'm not saying that that you've got, but but I'm saying, are you feeding yes. the mm-hmm. spiritual side of who you are? You become a better you when you spend time with God, when his word is in you, when you're refreshed, when you're worshiping, when you're, when, when you're practicing spiritual disciplines, that's what makes you the better you. So mm-hmm. I think sometimes couples will say, I need to be a better me. So I need a weekend away. Well, you may need a weekend away if you're going to go spend time with the Lord, not if you're just going to go to the beach and read the latest novel that's come out. All right. Yes. Relax and refresh, but relax by growing in your relationship with God. And yes, Mm -hmm. I I have found, I found it to be true that when we were raising the kids and Marianne would say, I'm going to go to the women's thing at church. And that means you're in charge of getting everybody to bed and all of that. And that was a hard night to do all of that. But the wife who came back at the end of that night was refreshed. Our relationship was better. The next day was better because she had gotten a chance to be refreshed. We need those times of personal refreshment with the Lord 
in order to be better together. And sometimes when we're when we're not syncing up, it's because we just have not been with the Lord. Very, yes. Very yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And I love that distinction. You're exactly right. And, mm-hmm. and when we say that, um, you know, when I'm a better me, we're a better we, we usually are referring to um, being, you know, digging into the places where sin is in our heart, digging into the places where we've gotten off the mark, mm-hmm. where we're not, um, where we're sideways emotionally or spiritually. And yeah. so I so appreciate the way that you really fleshed that out and, mm-hmm. and defined that mm-hmm. as powerful. Yeah. Um, so a- another thought, first Corinthians 13 mentions patience. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so let, let's, let's talk about that in real life. Um, mm-hmm. you know, how do we take what first Corinthians 13 says about patience? I mean, this past year, you know, we've had a lot of together togetherness, um, mm-hmm. as people have quarantined and life has changed yeah. and it, there's been a lot of opportunity for impatience. So how can couples, how can individuals, cultivate patience. Yeah. Isn't it interesting? This is where the definition of love starts in first Corinthians 13. If you got a room full of people and you said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to leave you fill in the blank here. Love is blank. What, what word would you put in there? I'm, I'm guessing in a hundred people, patience would come later on the list if it came up at all. Mm-hmm. And yet Paul, when he's teaching about love, he says, let's start here. Love is patient. And, and patience, in the old King James Version of the Bible, it doesn't say love is patient. It says love is, love suffereth long, is what it says. Mm. Okay, so this idea of patience means long-suffering. Mm-hmm. Now, again, what a place to start with the definition of love. And I want to be quick as we talk about patience to start off. I don't think the Bible is saying that if you're in a, a relationship where the other person is being abusive to you, Right. right. That the Bible's telling you, well, you just need to suffer. No, right. no. You are not being loving to an abuser by allowing the abuser to continue to abuse you. Correct. Mm-hmm. So, yes. so if you really love this other person who is seeking to harm you, you're going to try to get help for that person so that that pattern of sin in his or her life can be broken. Mm-hmm. And the abuse can stop for their sake as well as for your sake. So, yes. So with that out of the way, what we're talking about when we talk about suffering long, we're talking about the little annoyances, the little irritations. Later on in this passage, the the Bible says love is not irritable. It's not rude. It's not resentful. Those are kind of the opposite of patience. So if you're impatient, you're irritable and you're rude and you're resentful, you keep a record of wrongs. Patience means, no, I'm not going to be those things. I'm not going to get irritable. I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to keep a record of wrongs or or be resentful. And you think, well, how, how do I do that, right? If that just seems to come naturally to me, mm. I would say the way that I have learned to cultivate patience in my own life is, first of all, to focus on the fact that God's patience for me is infinite. That, mm-hmm. that when, when I remember that God is patient and he is kind toward me, then that helps me step back. If I find that I am easily provoked, 
then I have to say, well, the, the issue is not the person who's annoying me. It's that I'm easily triggered. How do I deal with, with those easy provocations? Uh, how, how do I, and there may be the techniques of, I have to take a deep breath. I have to count to 10. I have to deal with whatever anger or frustration is, is boiling up in me. I think those are, those are helpful tactics, but at the end of the day, we have to come back and say, God's patience with me is infinite. God is forgiving with me infinitely. So when I feel boiling up in me, the frustration or the provocation, that's, that's a trigger for me to remember. I need to, I need to find the place of patience that I can, I need to pull back. I need to take the deep breath. I need mm-hmm. to, to not listen to the anger or the frustration inside of me, the irritation inside of me. I, I need to pull back and go, okay, what's really going on here? And how can I love you in this minute and, and find the place of patience to operate from? Yes. Yeah. You know, first Corinthians 13 is so powerful. Uh, I actually uh, really enjoyed one of your, I think it was your last chapter where you talked about be a bulldog. Love, love is tenacious. Uh, I love that quote from Winston Churchill. Churchill was the one who said that a bulldog's nose is slanted backwards so he can continue to breathe without letting go. <laughs> really? <laughs> that's a great quote. It is. And and that's what a bulldog is. You you grab on and you don't let go and you can keep breathing the whole time. Love yeah. never quits, never fails, never gives up. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had over the the freeze a few months ago when uh, you guys had it where you live too, where the temperatures went way low. So we had a pipe burst. So we were without water for five days in our house because lots of people were without water. It took a long time for the plumbers to get out and be able to to fix it. I couldn't fix it myself. So here we are functioning without any water in the house. And we were going out Mm -hmm. to the backyard regularly, filling up buckets full of snow, bringing them in the house, melting the snow, just so we could have one functioning toilet the whole time that we were without water. So... Mm -hmm. So we were being without water makes you recognize how much how important water is, how much we take it for granted. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love, there's never a time, the Bible says, when we go to God for love and we turn on the tap and there's nothing there. It never mm-hmm. runs out. It never it, he's never empty. And mm-hmm. that's what we're supposed to model toward others, that we we are tenacious. We never run out of love for one another. And, and to do that, we have to make sure that the supply of love from God is flowing into us again, so it can flow out to others. We, we've got, our, for our love to be tenacious, we have to be receiving God's love and then pouring it out to others. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that. He is the author of love. He's the giver of it. And he's going to keep fueling us and yeah. filling us. He's the source. And that's yeah. where, when you run out of gas, you go to the gas station. When you run right. out of love, you go to, to God and he is the source of love for you. Yep. Absolutely. So what about, you know, sometimes limits are love. Mm-hmm. So let, let's talk about that for a moment, because, you know, I think people can hear this and, um, and they have in their mind that, 
Um, like, and you mentioned it slightly earlier, like if I just, you know, it's not that I give you everything that you want and that is love. Um, there's a balance in there. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about that just a little bit? Yeah. I, the, the way I say it in the book is, uh, my goal is your good. So love means my goal is your good. That doesn't mean that it's your indulgence. We know this with our kids. So when our kids come to us and they say, I'm hungry, can I have a Twinkie? And we think, no, here's what you've had all day today. That would not be good for you. It would ruin your appetite. We know better in that moment what you need. So we're going to say no to the things you're asking for, the things that you, you think you want. Now, I'm not saying we need to treat one another as husband and wife, like we're kids. Right. So it's yeah, right. I know better, but I think we do need to stop and ask when somebody says, I want this, we need to stop and say, well, is that what God wants for us? Is that, is that the right thing for us? You may want it because, because your flesh is asking for it. You may want it because your appetite is craving it, but it may not be the best thing. So let's come together and say, uh, let's pray about this together. Is this the right thing? I'm talking about big decisions here. Mm-hmm. Sure. In the moment when when somebody wants an indulgence, we just have to stop and say, is there anything wrong with that indulgence? Is there any reason why it's not a good idea to have this in that moment? And and it may be that the right thing for me to say is, I don't think that's I don't think that's what the Lord wants for you. I don't think that's mm-hmm. what's best for us or best for you at this moment. I, I can't do that because because I think that would actually be long term more harmful than good. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yes. Yes. So so definitely sometimes love is limits and um and the way that we um communicate those limits though, see, oftentimes I think that's where we also lose love. Yeah. That is we we stop being loving in the communication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we, we become parental. And we start to treat the other person like they're a child. That's never any good. And the Bible says, let your, let your speech be seasoned with grace. Mm -hmm. When when we're saying, I don't think this is right. It's not, it's not a no, no, we're not, you know, it's not, no, it's, it's pulling back and saying, I, I don't think this is right for us. I can't in conscience do this. I, I think it's the wrong thing. I love you and I, I want to serve you, but I don't think this would serve you well. Right. That's a right. whole different approach. It right. Is. Yes. Right. Whole and, different ballgame. And that's what that's what seasoned with grace sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this is where you go. Ephesians 4.29 is the verse that says uh, that that we're not to let corrupting speech come out of our mouth. Not not to mm-hmm. um but but instead we we do what's good for the hearer. We 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 stop and we we season it with grace. That, that's a that's a great verse. I, I should have it memorized. I got my Bible here. Let me I'm I'm gonna read it. Okay. Let me read mm-hmm. it. Sure, of course. This one of those Marianne would say you should have this memorized. No, here she's got another <laughs> let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up that fits the occasion that gives grace to those who hear you put those three things and say, okay, is, am I building you up with what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Does it fit the occasion? And does it give grace to you as I present it? That's the only kind of speech we should have. It, when, when we're saying, I think this is wrong, or I can't do what you're asking me to do. We have to say it in a way that edifies the other person that, that gives grace and that fits the occasion. Yeah. 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 Yep, and that's absolutely. the kind piece of first, first Corinthians right. 13. Yeah. Yeah. 
is also, that's a, a mm-hmm. piece of that. And let me say a word about kindness, if I can, just for a second, because this was, as I was studying for this book, I read a quote from Michael Card, the singer songwriter who wrote mm-hmm. this book, and, and he made the observation that the most common attribute of God in the Old Testament, if you stopped and asked the question, how is God most often described in the Old Testament? The word hesed is the Hebrew word that means loving kindness. Mm. Before saying God is holy or God is powerful or God is righteous, he is all of those things. But the thing that the Jews were most amazed about when they thought about God was not that he was all powerful or all knowing or holy. They were amazed that he was a God of loving kindness because all of the pagan gods were bully gods. You know, if they didn't like mm-hmm. you, they do this, they do that. Here's the God of Israel who is a God of loving kindness. And, and so what a, what a key descriptor and kindness is different than niceness. Niceness is okay. I'm going to be polite and I'm going to be, and, and niceness is good, but, but kindness is proactive goodness toward another person. I'm going to do things that are for your good. That's when we're really being kind to another person. Mm, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So practical rubber meets the road. Yeah. Can you share a time when you chose love, even when you didn't feel love? Yeah. Um, I'll take you back to what was um, probably the darkest season in our marriage. Um, give you a little context for this. Marianne and I had been married for, see, this was 84. We'd been married five years and we had one child and um, I got fired from my job. Mm-hmm. And two weeks later, Marianne found out we were pregnant with number two. And we had just moved into the house that that was kind of, we had, we'd built this house. It was to our specs. It was the house that we wanted. We were living in the town that Marianne had grown up in, in Tulsa with all of her family living nearby. And I'm now out of work and I'm starting to look for a job. Well, I find a job in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm. I say, I think this is where we're supposed to move. Right. And she was like, okay. So I moved out to Phoenix ahead of her. She stayed behind to try to sell the house. I went out I found the house that I thought we should buy in Phoenix and I bought it without her seeing it. Whoa. Yeah. (laughs) That's a rookie mistake. You don't do that. Right. So I said, I think I found the house. She said, okay. So I bought this house. So at the, at the end of July in the summer of 1984, um, we are moving to Phoenix. We've, we haven't sold our house in Oklahoma yet. We bought a house in Arizona. Um, She's pregnant with number two. She's moving into a house that she's never seen before. It's July and it's Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And it's hot. And she gets to the house and she looks at it and she does not like the house. And she doesn't have any friends in, in Arizona. And she's in the middle of the, her second trimester. And she's just moved away from her family and her support system. And I'm going off to work every day. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Marianne got depressed. I mean, I don't know if it was clinical depression or not, but she, I would come home at the end of the day and she was, she was blank. I would mm-hmm. say, I do it. And she was like, fine. I couldn't get any responsiveness. There was nothing there. And, and I remember one night in 
early August being out in the backyard in our house in Phoenix and I was kicking dirt clods in the backyard and I was looking up at the sky and I was just talking to God and I was going, I'm not, I'm not happy here. This is not what I've been looking for. This is not going well. And I remember having the thought, I know we're not going to get a divorce and I'm not going to divorce her because I, I promised I wouldn't and I'm, I'm going to keep my promise. But I understand why people want to get divorced. Mm-hmm. I understand how you get to a point where you go, if this is what marriage is going to be for, for a long, long time, this is, this is not going to be fun for anybody. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was a long season. I say long. It was, it was a couple of months of, of Marianne just being in the cloud. And mm. I understand why she was. I mean, in the moment, I didn't understand because my job was going well. I liked my job. I liked Phoenix. I, I was adaptable. I was, I was going off to work every day. I wasn't staying home right. with a, a kid in a neighborhood I didn't know and didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. So uh, that, was, that was a season where I had to say, okay, I have to, I have to love her in this. I have to love her through this. I have to, to, to sacrifice what I'm all about or what I'm, I, I, I would come home at the end of work and I would say, you want to go out to, to eat tonight? And part of the reason I said that is because there wasn't anything being cooked. So if I wanted to eat, I, but I was, I was trying to think, what can I do to help get you through this? Now I would say in that time, I was looking for superficial things to break her out of her, her depression cloud. Mm-hmm. I was not coming home and saying, Let's pray together. I'm not coming home and saying, let's read this book together. I was, I was not, uh, I don't know that I was regularly praying for her at that time. I was kind of just waiting for her to get back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so God taught me a lot in that season about my own uh, selfishness, my own focus, and my own superficiality and how love needed to be deeper than just Okay, I will endure this until you get better. No, I needed to be a part of the solution to helping her get better. Mm, and I, yeah. People always say, so how'd you fix it? And I don't have, I, I didn't do this or that. Over time, God brought healing and wholeness back. We wound up moving again to Sacramento this time. Mm. And, and it was, uh, I don't know if God used that, that second move to kind of jolt both of us into, okay, we got to toughen up and we got to, we got to get ready for, for bumps and bruises rather than just expecting that everything's going to go smoothly. Um, Mm. I don't have a magic formula to say other than, than God worked in both of our hearts and lives and, and the, the depression thawed over time. And, but Mm. we both look back on that. That was a very hard chapter and season for us. And I could have become embittered I could have mm-hmm. kept a record of wrongs. I could have become impatient. I could have been mm-hmm. irritable. I could have been rude. I mean, all of these things from First Corinthians 13, I could have easily gone there. And God just kept saying, no, love, that's what you promised. Do that. And mm-hmm. so that's what I tried to do. Yeah. That's oh, I awesome. Love that. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah. And, and honestly, that's the real stuff of marriage right there. Right. That's what you're talking about is that was a for worse season. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. They're going to come. If yes. anybody thinks you're going to get from here to the finish line with no worse thrown in, 
Um, I got news for you. If you haven't had it yet, it's around the corner. I'm not trying to, I'm a, I'm an optimist. I, I see things, but, but I'm a realist too. Worse is going to be there. And you got to be, Jesus said this, he said that the house that is built on a firm foundation is able to withstand when worse comes Yes. Mm. sand will blow away. And, and you don't build a house in the middle of the storm. You build the house before the storm comes so that you've got shelter from the storm when it comes. So you build your marriage now so that when the hard times come, you've got the, the foundation and the, the pillars to hold you in place rather than trying to think, oh, things are broken now. Now we've got to work on our marriage. No, you you mm-hmm. guys, you work on your marriage in the good times yes. so that when right. the hard times come, you've got something to, fall, to, to, to hang on to. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. This has been such a good conversation. It has. Oh my goodness. Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much, Bob. I'm I'm honored to be on with you guys and cheerleaders for, for what you're doing with the podcast and cheerleaders for your writing and the ministry that God's given you. And again, I just am so grateful for your own Mm. transparency and authenticity and God's using that in so many ways. So I'm a cheerleader for you guys. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, we have one last question for you. It's kind of a fun one, but we like Mm -hmm. to ask it when we're, we're talking with somebody about marriage. Um, Now, how long have you and Marianne been married now? We're coming up on 42 years of marriage. 42 Mm -hmm. years. Okay. So um, what is a fun date night activity that you guys enjoy together? You know, this, this is pretty mundane and pretty simple. Um, it, it doesn't cost much. There's a, there's a, um, a shopping center that's about a half mile from where we live and a fun date night for us on a, on a spring evening or a fall evening when the weather permits is just to walk up to that shopping center and, and we're not going up to buy anything. We just go up. There are some places to eat up there. We might walk up there for dinner. There's a fresh market if we need to get something from the grocery store. But it's the walk up and back, and just being able to spend time together. And and uh, and, and Marianne loves to go for a walk. I I I like to go for a walk if the, if we're going somewhere. I don't want to just walk around the block. I mean, what's that all? This about? is this oh is goodness. Jill and I. She <laughs> loves to walk, and I love to walk because I love her. Yeah. <laughs> So for me, if, if we got a purpose, if there's a goal in mind, <laughs> yeah. something, I can walk then. But if it's just walk around the block, that's ridiculous. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. Oh, you guys. <laughs> but so you know what I, I love about that is I think sometimes when people think of taking a date night, they think that it's got to be a big deal. Yeah. yeah. And what you're saying is it's a little thing, yeah, right. but you enjoy it together. Uh, it, it allows right. you to just do something simple that you know that you both enjoy for a variety of reasons. And I mm-hmm. love that. And if, yeah. there's, if, if there's ice cream involved halfway through that, that's just all the better, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> there you go. That's why you're walking, Bob. I know. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's to work great. off the ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was thinking to get to the ice well, cream. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of a both hand. On the way home. That's right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, so powerful. Well, Bob, would you be willing to close us in prayer and just praying for those that are listening um, that can, um, you know, that are are learning to love deeper? Would you, would you pray for them right now? Mm. Love to do that. Father, thank you for marriage for the great gift that it is to us and for 
uh, how you work in our lives and how you um, how you pull make two into one in marriage. What a what a great gift and a great joy, and we we thank you for that, Lord. We we also confess to you that there are times when our own selfishness or the the events of life can cause that joy to wane in marriage. And I know there are folks who are listening to this who are in a tough spot in their marriage, some who have lost hope, some who are wondering if their marriage can be what they want it to be and what the Bible calls for it to be. Lord, I pray that you would meet those people today and and that you would refresh in them a joy for one another uh, just as you pour love into them and as they are recipients of your love, that that would blossom and cause their their marriage to grow and to be strengthened. I pray that uh, all of us would have a deeper, uh, richer understanding of what it means to love another person. And that uh, because you love us, we are committed to loving each other. So I, I'm, I'm thinking, Lord, of, of First John four nineteen, which says we love because you first loved us. And may that be true for each one of us today. May we be lovers of one another because you have loved us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for yeah, joining us. You, and uh, for those that are listening, this is Mark and Jill Savage along with mm-hmm. Bob Lapine with a reminder that a real marriage isn't perfect. A real marriage is two people being perfected. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining me today on the No More Perfect Podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow so that you don't miss any future conversations. We also want you to know that we have three free eBooks for you. You can find them at jillsavage.org slash free. You can also find the show notes and links to anything we talked about over at jillsavage.org slash podcast. See you next week for another not perfect, but very important conversation about the real stuff of life.